This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, Father, how precious is the death of your Son to us. It is the only means by which we can have a relationship with our God. For we know that you, you don't accept us as we are, but rather as we are in Christ. And we could do nothing to put ourselves in Christ or rightly relate to Christ. You've done it all for us. It's all to you we owe. We praise you, Father. And we give you thanks that you not only saved us from sin, but you created the church in which we are to live as fellow brothers and sisters of Christ in one body, made up of various parts with various gifts, all directed by your spirit, that you would be glorified in the unity amidst diversity, that we as people who are gifted in various ways would live as one, people who come from different nationalities and ethnic backgrounds can live as one. This is your church, and by it, you desire to be glorified. Oh, Father, I pray that we would preserve the unity of this glorious body that you have made, your church. And that we would do it by using our gifts, promoting the gifts, exercising the gifts, and thereby showing the world what God is like. Help us, Father, now to understand your word. Thank you for this passage, which is so abundantly clear and uncontroversial. And we give you praise for it and ask you, Father, now, send your spirit. You who are already here, we pray, come and change us. Make us like Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know it's easy to get lost in the forest when you're moving so slowly through a major text of Scripture like 1 Corinthians. We knew it would be that way before we stepped into this dense theological underbrush. So let's refresh. Paul wrote this letter to a divided church. True? Divided on almost every conceivable subject. They were divided over their favorite teachers. They were divided over issues of immorality and how to handle a sinning brother in the church. They were divided over who was educated and who was not, who was wise and who was foolish, who was popular and who was unpopular. They were divided over who was educated and who was uneducated. They were divided over whether it was permissible to eat food that was sacrificed to idols. And they were divided over the use of spiritual gifts. The problem, however, is simple. It is this. God hates division in his church. Let me say that again. God hates division in the church. It is not to be tolerated ever. Beloved, so often I hear of stories of churches that Division starts to come up, and the leadership just, they just don't know how to handle it, and they don't want to handle it, and they hope it'll just go away, and it doesn't go away. Listen, God hates division in his church. And praise God, he's given us a book to teach us how to deal with, among everything else pertaining to life and godliness, how to deal with division. 
And so Paul is bringing the word of God to bear on their lives, especially God hates division in areas that are unnecessary divisions called by, for instance, pride and self-will, which was so evident in the church of Corinth. In chapters 12 through 14, therefore, Paul is addressing their divisions over the spiritual gifts because some in the church were being exalted over others because it was deemed that these brothers had the greater gifts, the spectacular gifts, the showy gifts, the upfront gifts, the spotlight gifts. And the division was severely debilitating the church reputation and the ability for the church to show the community what Christ is like, for them to have the power to show unbelievers what the gospel is like. In verses 14 through 26 then, Paul is trying to correct two opposing views, two absolutely polar views on a particular subject relative to the church related to the giftedness of individuals that was rendering the church useless in ministry both to the body itself and to the outside world. And so before talking about the text, let's stand together in honor of God's word and read the text. I'm going to read the whole text and we'll deal with half of it this week and reserve the rest of our time together for the Lord's table. Somebody said in elders meeting this morning, I said, I'm going to have a short message. And they said, good, you owe us from last week. <laughs> okay. I agree with that. So, uh, first Corinthians 12, 14 through 26, here we go. Just follow along with me as I read for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason, any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker and necessary, and ne are necessary, and those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has, no, has so comprised the body, or composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there would be, here we go, there, would, there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated. Now, let's think about this scripture in light of who we are as a church. Calvary Bible Church exists for one purpose, and you know what that purpose is because we hammer this so often so that we'll know what our purpose is. So say it with me. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things to the glory of God in the joy of all peoples. That's right. And... That's our purpose for existence, not only as a church, but as individuals. But 
More importantly than we as individuals, we exist as a body for this purpose. Another way of saying it is we exist to show the world what God is like, or we exist to show the world what Christ is like and show one another what Christ and his Father are like. But there is a third component of this that we've not discussed before because, to be honest, I never saw it again, uh, really before this week. In fact, I'd, I've often molded over. Okay, we see that God wants us to, God expects that we will exist, that our resolve would be to exist, to show the world what the Father is like and what Christ is like. But it didn't occur to me that there was a place that said, yes, and you are to live in such a way that shows what the Spirit is like. But here in 1 Corinthians 12, we have exactly that. How do we show one another what the Spirit is like? We show it by engaging in personal ministry according to our spiritual gifts. You say, where do you get that? That's a good question. Look at chapter 12, verse 7. Paul says this, but to each one is given a, watch this, a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, which is to say, spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. To manifest means to reveal or to make known. And so clearly we see the proper use of our spiritual gifts is important, not only for the unity of the body, not only for a sense of purpose in your own life through ministry, but also to manifest the Holy Spirit of God. That is to show the world and show one another what the Holy Spirit is like. That's what our gifts are for. And how does that happen? It happens as we exercise our gifts and people look at us and say, wow, that's amazing. You're, you're really good at that. You're really good with children. You're really good at ministering the word of God. You know, you're a really merciful person. I've never met anybody like you before. Are you a Christian? You must be because how does that happen in a person's life without the Holy Spirit doing an an incredible work in your soul. I've had people from my past look at me and say, I know you, or at least knew you. And the person you are today is not the person you are when I knew you. What are they saying? And they don't know what they're saying, but God knows the Holy Spirit is being glorified in the work that he has accomplished in my life. And the same is true in your life to the degree that you are living a holy life, empowered by the Holy Spirit to minister in a variety of different ways, which blesses the church and makes unbelievers want to know God. We exist to show the world and one another what the Holy Spirit is like. But frankly, brothers and sisters, there are at least a couple of ways that we can mess this up in the church. And... and and we mess it up pretty. I mean, the church is known for messing this up pretty bad. And I'm not going to talk about horror stories of how church division has wrecked churches. You already know those stories. But there are two ways that Paul deals with here that really messes up our purpose. The reason that we exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ or to make known what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are like. The first way is to look around at the other members of the church and say, they don't need me. They don't need me. This church is 
doing fine without me. Um, I like being here, but I could disappear. Nobody would care. They don't need me. And the other way to really mess up our purpose is for you to say the opposite. I don't need them. I just don't need them. I can do me and Jesus, my spiritual gifts, my Bible. That's all I need, just me and Jesus. I don't need them. I don't need you. Just, get, just quit asking me questions. Get out of my life. And those are two wrong views of your relationship with the local church. These are two issues in this text specifically that Paul, uh, through the Holy Spirit, wants us to wrestle with this morning and next week as well. I'll only cover the first. So let's consider this first problem this morning before we share the Lord's table. First, Paul's first exhortation sounds something like this. If I were to reword it in a very pithy form that works well for your notes, it would be this. Paul's exhortation, never underestimate your own importance to the church. Never underestimate your own importance to the church. And the second one would be the opposite. Never overestimate your own importance to the church. Well, as I said, there were some in the body, or perhaps, frankly, there may be some as well in this church. And I know there are, from time to time, people who fit into this first category because they've told me, you know, I just don't have anything to offer. I'm whatever. And here come the excuses. Understand that. Um, there are people in everybody, in every church body, who never get around to doing anything for the church on a consistent basis because they just think they have nothing to offer. And in their hearts, what they feel and what they are saying is, they don't need me. This church doesn't need me. But this kind of thinking needs to be corrected if the church is to function as a unified, healthy body that fulfills its purpose. And so Paul is specifically out to correct this first fallacy. They don't need me. Look at verses 14 through 16. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? And so you see, some people think that the only part of the body that really is necessary is a hand or an eye or the mouth. That's me, right? The mouth. And that's wrong-headed thinking. If you think that the only Parts of the body are the feet or the eye or the mouth. You're thinking wrongly. Your understanding of your relationship with the local church needs to be corrected because you are living outside of what God wants for you relative to the local church. This is not how the body works. The body of Christ, like a human body, does not consist of one or a few multi-talented, multi-gifted people who do all the work. It's not the way it's supposed to work. Now, there are churches where it works like that, or it doesn't work like that. I mean, I mean it's, it's functioning like that, but it's not working. And that's unfortunate, and that's especially true in churches that are outside of town where they have few 
people who are gifted, perhaps in, in ways that we would say are upfront gifts or they're not able to afford multiple staff members. But there's danger for our church as well because we do have multiple staff members and, and more than one staff pastor who can preach and teach and counsel and all the things that Brent does by my side. But you know what? If you're relying on me and Brent and Charlie and Frank and Joe and Mike to do all the work, forget about it. We cannot be a healthy church with six men carrying the load. It's impossible. It's impossible. That's not why the church, that's not how the church was designed. And so the body of Christ is designed to be very much like a human body. God has ordained that the church should function like a human body with many parts, but being one. Diversity all wrapped up in unity. Now let's talk about how this looks in practical terms. In every church, there are some who are dissatisfied with how God has gifted them. And they understand that God has given them a special special capacity for ministry. They may even know what it is. But they aren't happy about their gift. And some people are dissatisfied with it merely because they want to be more profitable for the kingdom. And I'm going to submit to you in a little bit, if I remember to. But that's good. But there are a whole other group of people who... Instead of getting involved in serving according to their giftedness, they just do nothing. They're passengers. They're hitchhikers, spiritual hitchhikers. They go on board with this church. They experience a little fellowship. Next stop, they get out. And they put out their thumb and find a new church coming by with a new program, some people that they like, and they hop on board. And then they kind of hang out there for a while and get to know some people and soak up some of the teaching or the ministry or whatever. And then after a while come to another stop, and they hop out of the car and go find another church. Beloved, that's wrong. It's not right. That's not the way believers should live. You don't have to be a part of Calvary Bible Church. I'm not saying you should. Not everybody should. Because not everybody is called by God to be here. Not everybody is placed here. But you should be a part of some church. But people like this understand that God has given them a special capacity for ministry. They just don't like the gift they have. And when asked about why they're not serving the body in some capacity, they fall into kind of a self-pity. Oh, I don't have anything to offer, or I'm too old, or I'm not educated, never been to seminary. I can't speak well. That's what Moses said. God rebuked him. It's not about you. It's about me. I've chosen you. I'll never choose you to do anything that I don't empower you to accomplish. If you're not able to speak, here's his answer. Who made man's mouth? In other words, Moses, I can handle this. Created the earth with a word. Took me six days to create everything else. I created you. I'm absolutely sovereign over this problem. I want to use you. And I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. And if you think you lack any gifting for this, don't worry about it. I am with you. And what a promise. Beloved, this kind of thinking is wrong-headed. The people who look around at the people who have the more showy, upfront, public gifts and say, because I'm not like that guy, 
I really have nothing to offer. That isn't true for two reasons, at least two. And these are the two that I've thought about this week. First, first of all, this isn't true because this perspective uh, misses the whole point of the term body. Body. I looked it up this week in Webster. What does body mean? I mean, wouldn't it be obvious? One of the definitions is this, a collective group. I think that's helpful because that is exactly Paul's argument here. That's how he's using the word body here. For example, we frequently speak of a a student body. What's a student body? A student body is a group of students. They are all individual students, but they all go to the same school. They're a student body, a body of students, or we might Think of a body of knowledge, which is a bunch of books, articles, and papers, research written on a particular field of study. It's a body of knowledge relative to biology or, or um, I was going to say psychology, but I don't even recognize that. Um, theology. And that brings us really to another illustration. My favorite Puritan pastor is a guy by the name of, or was a guy by the name of Thomas Watson. And he wrote a, a, what's kind of a systematic theology based on the Westminster Confession. He was Presbyterian, that makes sense. And he wrote a, a little book, it's one of my favorites uh, by him, and it's called A Body of Divinity. Divinity is just the old word for theology. And what he's, what he's telling us by the title is, this is a book, one book, a body that's made up of different teachings of theology, different aspects of systematic theology based on the Westminster Confession. That's what a body is. A body is a collective group, a collection of individual parts that are one. Now, the point here is that when God chose to call the church a body, he intended to communicate a beautiful correlation between Diversity and unity, because that's what every body is. If you are not a collection of diversity and unity, then you can confidently say you are nobody. (laughs) Okay, I just made that up. It wasn't very funny, but you are not a body. If you are just one, and this is exactly Paul's argument here, if you are just one, you're not a body. And if your church is one, One person, it's not a body. It's not a body. It may be a preaching station where people show up because it's the popular place to come and hear preaching, but that's not a church. That's not a body. You can do that by listening to the radio or watching TV on Sunday morning. But if you're going to be a part of a body, then you've got to come as one who realized that you have been given a diverse gift, a very particular, peculiar gift for the purpose of blessing that church body. That means all the other diverse parts in the body. And so you see the person who thinks that only one or a few dominant, multi-talented, multi-gifted people are necessary for the proper function of the church completely miss the point of calling the church the body. Now watch this. This is exactly why Paul says, look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Now skip down to verse 19. Look at that. He says, if 
Um, if they were all one member, watch this, where would the body be? You see his argument? It's not a body if it doesn't have a bunch of parts doing different things to bring it all together as a functioning unit or organism. And so the body is made up of many parts because there are many functions that need to be achieved in order to keep the body healthy and strong so that, can, that it can fulfill its purpose. And so the first reason this person's thinking is wrong is because it misses the whole point of the term body. But there's another reason as well, and this one's more significant. The second reason this person's thinking is wrong is because he or she is forgetting that every person in the church is there by God's sovereign design. If you are here in this church, and not everybody listening to my voice is here, but if you are part of this church, even if you haven't become a member yet, you are here by God's sovereign design. You can't escape God's sovereignty. There is no such thing as a maverick molecule in the whole universe. God is sovereign over it all. Therein lies our hope. That's our hope for everything. That God has proven that to be the case in the past by gracing us, grace upon grace, especially through Christ, according to the prophetic terms that he established in the Old Testament and fulfilled it to the T. All of our hope of future grace is based on God's faithful, sovereign fulfillment of his promises of past grace. You are here because God put you here. And even if you're visiting today, it's no accident unless you consider yourself the one maverick molecule in the world, in the universe. You are here for a purpose. You need to understand that God has brought you here. Maybe you're just a visitor passing through. Maybe you're a family member and you're not going to stay. That's fine. But for the rest of you, some of you have been here for quite a while. And you're a passenger. You just, you just thumb in the ride. And that's not right. You're thinking wrongly. You're thinking, I don't have anything to offer, or I'm not equipped, or I'm not qualified. I'm too sinful. If you're thinking I'm too sinful, you and I need to talk. Because there's some other really sinful people in this church body, <laughs> and I'm one of them. Nobody, nobody gets in a relationship with God apart from all of the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your pastor didn't need any less of the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ than you do. And so the second reason is that God has sovereignly designed the church this way. Now let me show you this in the text. Look back at verse 6 of chapter 12. I'm going to show you three verses. This is the first one. He says, there are a variety of effects relative, he's talking about the spiritual gifts, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Or if you have the ESV, it says, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone, in every person. God is doing this. In other words, those who are dissatisfied with their gifting need to remember that God has a specific purpose in mind when he gave you your gift. Look at verse 18. But now, God... By the way, anytime you see, but God, I mean, it should just jump out at you and you should think there's a contrast here that Paul is comparing something to God. 
And what is he comparing? He's comparing this idea that we're just a group of people. We can come and go as we please. I mean, yes, it's legal, but it's not biblical. We can just do as we please. We can kind of take what we want and go, and we're okay with God. That's not how God sees it. That's why the but God. Let's look at it again. But now God has placed the members, watch this, how many of them? Each one of them in the body, how? Just as he desired. In other words, your gifting and your participation in the body of Christ was God's choice for you. You are gifted and you are in a specific church with that gift because God has designed that. This is a God issue. And then look at verse 24. Paul says, God has composed the body. Every single body of Christ that there is, and yes, the universal body, of course, but the local body is where it all happens. God has composed this church. If you are here at this church, it's because God put you here. You may think you stumbled here because you got lost in this neighborhood and saw the sign. It's amazing. Before we had a website, that's how people found us. Maybe that's why we stayed so small. I mean, you may think it was an accident, and you may think you're sneaking in the back and sneaking out of the back before I can get to you, or one of the elders or deacons or whatever. And you may be doing that, but you are here because God has brought you. And God expects you to do something while you're here. Be a part of the body. This is not a preference issue. This is a God issue. This is a worship issue. This is a lordship issue. This is an obedience issue. Is Christ the Lord of your life or is he not? If he's not, then you have reason to question your salvation. But that's a different message altogether. Are you in submission to God the Holy Spirit as he has spoken in his word, or are you holding yourself over the Bible and picking and choosing what you want like Thomas Jefferson did and the other deists? Beloved, this is not, this is not a preference issue. Engaging in personal ministry in the local church is not something that is optional for Christians. It's imperative. God commands it. He's designed each member of the body with a specific gift to accomplish specific purposes that keep the body healthy, strong, and productive. And so, beloved, we need to understand that God has expectations. God has expectations. Let me say it again. God has expectations of your life as it relates to your church. If you belong to Jesus Christ, it is necessary that you find a good church that you plug into that church and begin serving in some capacity in that church. This is not an optional thing. And Paul is making it an issue of obedience. He's saying, God has placed you in the church to serve according to how he has designed the gifts and how he has gifted you in particular. So the reason you are not like other members of the body as you are looking out at the field of people who are gifted in ways that you can see and you're thinking, why wasn't I gifted like that? That's a good question because Paul's answering it here. The reason you are not gifted like other members of the body is because God doesn't want you to be gifted like other members of the body. He's got something for you to do, and he expects you to do it. He wants you to fulfill your calling. Let others fulfill theirs as God leads and empowers them. Your calling is to be faithful with where God has you 
and what he's given you in Christ. There are many members, this is how Paul says it, there are many members, but one body. Beloved, the elders of Calvary Bible Church are persuaded that in the New Testament, a Christian who does not engage in ministry is a contradiction. A Christian who does not engage in ministry with other believers is a contradiction. Everyone should be involved in personal ministry. Everyone should be helping other people change and grow. And no matter how you do that, it's important to the health and productivity of the church. And so Paul would have us, Paul would have me say to you this morning, stop underestimating your importance to this church body. We need you to do whatever it is God has called you to do. We need you to serve. We need you to rank yourself under everybody else in the body and get to work. The thing that gets us really excited when we have new members come, come through the membership process and they get to meet the elders and we ask them to share their testimony and we get to the end of all of that and say, so how do you think you can fit into this body in terms of serving? What we love to hear is gifted people say, let me clean the toilets. Let me vacuum the floors. Let me pull weeds out of the volleyball pit. And we think... Now, there's a, God who under, a guy who understands lordship. There's a guy who says, Lord, my life is yours. I don't get to dictate what I get to do. You just tell me what you want done. I'm the slave. You're the master. Understand that. You just point me in a direction and I'll go. Use the elders to do that. Use other uh, people in the body to do that. I'm a servant. Just give me a way to serve. You may say, oh, I'm too old or I'm sick almost every day of my life, how in the world am I supposed to serve? I can't do anything useful for the body. They don't need me. Well, you know, it may be true that you're older, and it may be true that you're sick. Understand that. Um, but you can pray. And I would, I would suspect at least the people that I visit who are bedridden, are able to dictate notes to people that they're praying for as they hear the prayer requests come through. Someone may say, well, I'm, I'm new around here and I don't know where, what, needs, uh, what needs to be done, to which I would respond in two ways. First, don't wait until someone gives you a formal invitation to get involved in ministry. Find somebody that you bump into this morning. You be proactive. You get your radar your heat-seeking missile focused on someone or some family, and you track them down and say, dinner at my house. Dessert at my house. In fact, invite me if you're having dessert. <laughs> at my house. And let's just get together in fellowship. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Okay, fellowship 101. Chocolate cake <laughs> and coffee. Okay, that's one and two. When you meet, here's what you do. Talk about how God has been speaking to you through his word this week. Let me tell you what I read in the Bible this week. Such an amazing text. I didn't see it at first, but this is what I learned at the end. Read the Bible a little bit together. Ask, how can I pray for you this week? I don't know you. I want to get to know you. I don't know how much of a relationship we'll have in the future, but would you entrust me with something that I can pray about this week? And then pray together. That's fellowship. That's fellowship. And that's personal ministry. You're opening your life up. You're inviting others to open their life up. You got your world laid open so people can, 
can incarnate Christ into your life, that can move into your world and point you in the direction of God's word under the power of God's spirit, you have no idea how effective you can be if all you do is open your mouth and say, this is what God taught me in the word this week. This is how God's been convicting my heart when he's calls me to realize that I've been failing my family in various ways and God's granting me repentance. Can you pray for me? That's ministry. And you know what? You don't have to be a member of this church to do that. And if you are a member of this church, you ought to be doing that. You ought to be doing it. That's what we're talking about. There's 10,000 ways to engage in personal ministry. You don't even have to be healthy. You don't even have to walk. Just be faithful with where you are. Be faithful. And the second reason is this. Um, If you're new, um, second thing you should do is not only engage with people personally, but secondly, if you're not a member of this church and you're here, then you should join. Because the elders are not going to give you freedom to serve in, in every capacity that you could serve. In fact, most capacities in which you could serve until we know, first of all, that you're a child of God by your own testimony. And, um, and you, have, you have committed to uh, submitting to the authority of this church like these wonderful people did today and like almost everybody in this room has done for the glory of God, under the word of God. And so if you're here and you're not a member of this church, if you've been here for a long time, you ought to make that right. You ought to make it right. And if you then don't know how to serve, can't figure out a a specific way to serve, ask the leadership. Listen, I'm serving people. I'm having people over in my home. We're having lunch, coffee, breakfast, dinner, cake, whatever. And we're talking about the Lord and and we're enjoying fellowship and ministering to one another. But I want to do more. Is there something else I can do? It's a great question. And what the answer will be for you. But there's an answer. There's an answer. There's enough need here. There's enough need. And so, beloved, the point of all of this is don't underestimate your importance to the local church. God put you here to serve. God put me here to serve. Believe me, my wife and I came here kicking and screaming. After we left Dallas Seminary, left Texas, we said, we're through with that place. We'll never go back to the Metroplex. Oh, don't ever say never. And God brought us back, kind of kicking and screaming. But oh, the joy of being here, right where God wants us to be. Beloved, God has a place for you in his church. Don't underestimate your importance to the body of Christ. God is orchestrating the makeup of the church. And that means if you're here, God has put you here to do ministry. And it all comes down to this. It's all about his church. It's all about the glory of Christ as manifested in his church so the world will see what God is like as they see us relating to one another and to the world outside. When the diverse parts of the body work together in unity, it magnifies the glory of the one who gave it life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you for making us a part of your church, not just Calvary Bible Church, but your church, your people of all ages who will one day stand before the throne and proclaim the glory and worthiness and power of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb who was slain to redeem us. So we praise you. Oh, Father, now as we come to the Lord's table and we see in picture form, as it were, the blood of the Lamb and his physical body broken that ours might be healed.
that our sins would be forgiven, that our broken state before God would be transformed, that the image of God would be restored in us once again. Oh, Father, may we take it seriously and evaluate our hearts and so glorify our Father who is in heaven, for we pray it in Jesus' name.